Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of St. Luke's in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses, and under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. Bob Long, we are a family of faith that seeks to share God's love and bring hope to the world. We invite you now to join us for a message of hope. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was just a few weeks ago that we were gathered for our weekly staff meeting here at St. Luke's. And Amy Givens, our director of youth ministry here at our downtown campus, was talking to our staff about an article that she had read recently in National Geographic magazine. It was an article that was talking about the, the research done by a German scientist named Jan Suman. You see, Jan Suman had always heard this widespread belief that people who are lost tend to just wander in circles, and that's why they stay lost. And so he decided he wanted to put this to the test. So he came up with this idea to take three people, three volunteers, and drop them in the middle of the Sahara Desert. It was a spot where there were just these large sand dunes, there were no kind of visual cues anywhere to tell you where you were. He just dropped them into the middle of the Sahara Desert. One of them was at night. Two of them were during the day. At the same time, they took six other volunteers and they put them in the middle of a dense uh, forest in Germany. Again, there were no visual cues to tell you where you were. You were just in the middle of all these trees in a forest. And then they took another group of volunteers and, and they put them in the middle of this large field large empty field, and they put blindfolds all on them. And for all these three different groups, they told them, just walk in a straight line. They put GPS tracking devices on them, and they just sat back and watched them for 50 minutes to see how straight of a line they could walk. With no kind of visual cues to guide them, could they walk in a straight line? And the results were fascinating. What they found is that those who were blindfolded walking in the field not a single one of them walked anywhere close to a straight line. All of them began to veer to the left and to the right. They began walking and making turns and meandering in different directions. They started walking in circles. One of the volunteers was walking in circles tight enough that he would have stayed in an area the size of a basketball court for the entire 50 minutes, and he thought that he was walking a straight line. Of those who were in the forest... Four of them were walking on a cloudy day. Two of them were walking on a sunny day. The four that were walking on a cloudy day, they all began to meander around, walking in circles, turning to the left and to the right. But those who were walking on a sunny day, they were able to keep a relatively straight line with the exception of about a 15-minute time period when the sun went behind the clouds. And when that happened, they started to turn back to the left and to the right until the sun came back out again and then they corrected course and they were back on a straight line. Those who were in the desert, well, remember there was one that was walking at nighttime and it was cloudy that night and he was walking all over the place, going in circles, meandering around, except for a brief time when the moon would come out from behind the clouds and then he was able to walk straight until the moon went back behind the clouds. Those who walked during the daytime, it was on a sunny day and they stayed in a fairly straight line. No, what was fascinating is as they watched this, what they found is that 
those who had some kind of visual cue, those who had light to guide them, were able to stay on a straight line. Those who didn't had no chance of walking a straight path. We started talking about this and thinking about how this is so much of our spiritual lives. We all want to feel like we have meaning, direction, and purpose to our lives. We all want to feel like we're going somewhere, that we're becoming the people that God wants us to be. But so often in life, it's easy to feel like we're just lost and wandering in circles. It's easy to feel like we've lost our direction and we don't know where God is leading us next. But I believe as we enter into this new year, it's by following the light, the true light, that we're going to find our way into 2022 to become the people and the family of faith that God has called us to be. You know, it was two weeks ago that we were here as a family of faith celebrating Christmas Eve. We were coming together to to fill our worship spaces and to worship all across the world with those online. And we came that night to hear the good news of a baby born in Bethlehem, the good news of God's love for us. We came and we lit our candles and, and we told the story of how God's light has come to shine in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It is the good news of Christmas that the light still shines for us to guide us, to lead us forward so that we can walk the path that God wants for us in this new year. You know, today is Epiphany Sunday in the church calendar. Epiphany, the day of Epiphany is actually 12 days after Christmas. It comes on January the 6th. You know, in the church calendar, we actually celebrate the season of Christmas beginning on Christmas Day and going until January 6th, those 12 days. That is the 12 days of Christmas. You know, people often hear the song, 12 Days of Christmas, and they think it's the 12 days leading up to Christmas. That's when most of the world celebrates the season of Christmas, is that month, or maybe two months, depending on your household, leading up to Christmas. But in the church calendar, it's actually the 12 days following Christmas. That's why we still have all of the the Christmas decorations up here at the church. It's not because we haven't just taken the time yet to take them down. No, we're still in the season of Christmas. And it goes until the day of Epiphany, which is the day that we in the church remember the wise men coming to the manger. It was when the wise men came to the manger that they got to experience for themselves the gift of God's love, being born into the world and being born into their hearts. We come here on this Epiphany Sunday to be able to remember this story, to remember how it was the light that would guide the wise men to the manger that night, and it's the light that continues to guide us in our lives still to this day. You know, the scripture tells us that the wise men came because they saw the star in the east. You know, there's actually a couple different ways that we can translate that that verse, that phrase. Whenever we translate it from the Greek to the English, another way that you can say it is, They saw the star at its rising. Now, I think Matthew was trying to tell us something here. It wasn't just a statement about the wise men and and exactly what they were doing. I think Matthew was trying to make a theological statement. He was making a point that the wise men were looking for something in the sky. The wise men were looking for a message from God. And it was because they were looking that they saw the star at its rising. As soon as it appeared, they saw the light from God. 
You know, I don't know about you, but for me, if something very cool is happening in the stars, somebody has to tell me about it. I don't see it as soon as it happens unless somebody tells me that it's getting ready to happen. But that wasn't the case for the wise men. They were looking for a message from God because they believed that God still had a message for them. They believed that God wanted to lead them somewhere in life. And it was the light that God would give them that would lead them to the manger that night. For 2,000 years now, as people of faith, it is that same light of Christ that continues to lead us. And I believe that as we begin this new year, if we're willing to follow that light into 2022, we will begin to find meaning, direction, purpose for our lives. We'll be able to follow the path that God wants for us so that we can experience the fullness of life that God desires for us. So as we begin this new year, as we come on this Epiphany Sunday with the good news of God's grace that gives us a new beginning, there's three ideas that I want to share that, that I think can help to lead us into 2022. Three ideas that I think we can come back to on a daily basis that will help us to make the most of this new beginning so that we can find the life that God desires for us. First, I believe that every new beginning is a, an important reminder of the need for humility. A new beginning is a reminder that the past is in the past and that we are all starting fresh. You know, there's something humbling about that. It was the Apostle Paul who would write to the church in Rome and in chapter 12 he would say to them, Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment according to the faith given to you. It was Paul who knew that for the church in Rome, it was through humility that they would be able to find a new way forward together to be the church. It's through humility that we can allow God to use us. I think that was the message for the wise men on that very first Christmas. You know, we come back and we remember the story of the wise men, these magi. Sometimes we call them the three kings. That's a little bit of a, a misunderstanding. There actually was no reference to them being kings in the traditional sense that we think of kings of having land or having a kingdom. No, they were called magi. And we actually don't know that there were three of them. We know that there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but it never actually tells us how many people there were. We just assumed three because of the three gifts. But these magi, these wise men, there's a few things that we do assume about them. We assume that these wise men were educated people. They were astrologers. They were looking to the sky. They were those who would study the heavens for a sign, a message from God. It was the educated who would have had this kind of role in society. We believe that because they were educated, that they likely came from means. It was only those who had means who were able to be educated in those days. Not everybody could afford to be educated. They likely came from families of power, of wealth. The fact that they were bringing such rare gifts like gold and frankincense and myrrh means that they had something to be able to come and to give. And the fact that they could leave home at a moment's notice tells us that they had some kind of power and influence, that they could just get up at a moment's notice and they had the resources to leave and travel thousands of miles because of a star in the sky. 
And so here you have these wise men, these educated, wealthy, elite men of power and privilege, traveling thousands of miles. You know, I have to imagine that whenever they left home to go start this journey, they never dreamed that it was going to take them to this little lowly town of Bethlehem, this little village on the outskirts of Jerusalem, a nowhere sort of town. And when they got there, they would find that the star would rest over a cattle stall. And inside, they would find a little baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger, a feeding trough for cattle and for sheep. Well, I imagine that when these wise men saw this star, they knew that something great was happening. And I imagine that when they started that journey, they thought it was going to lead them to something truly special, truly grand and amazing. And yet to come to Bethlehem, to find this babe wrapped in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. What a humbling experience that must have been for them. And the scripture tells us that whenever they got there, they got down on their knees and they gave their very best gifts and they worshiped him. Humility for these wealthy, powerful, elite, educated men to find this little Jewish baby in the outskirts of Jerusalem, lying in a manger, and to come and kneel and to worship. This was a new beginning for them. And it all began with an act of humility. To be humble. To not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. For these wise men, it didn't matter what they had done in the past, where they had come from, what they had according to their name, This was a new beginning, and everything that was in the past was in the past. And today was a new day to start walking this path that God had for them. You know, when Jan Suman did this work, it was fascinating, the research for those that were in the forest. The four who were walking on a sunny day, well, they were able to walk in a fairly straight line, except for that brief time when the sun went behind the clouds. And suddenly they began to veer off path and start to walk in circles. And it was when the sun came back out that they got back on the right path. The reality is for all of us at times in life, we can lose sight of the light. We can begin to stray off the path. We can begin to lose our way. But it's when we come back to the light and to let the past be in the past, no matter how long we have walked that straight path, to come back in a spirit of humility and experience a new beginning that we were able to follow the light once again. John Wesley understood the importance of having a new beginning in humility. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism back in the 1700s, you know, he started this Methodist movement really around the idea of small groups of people getting together. His theology was all based on on this gift of God's grace and what he called the way of salvation. You see, Wesley believed that Salvation isn't something that we just experience one time. It's not something that we just make a choice one day and and that's really all there is to it. No, he believed that, that it was about the Christian life, this journey that we take, the way of salvation. And he believed that the way of salvation was a daily choice that we make to choose to follow Christ. And he believed that we lived this out in these small groups, what he called class meetings. He would get people together in these class meetings And it was a group of about 10 to 12 people. 
And they would study the scriptures. And they would pray together. And they would learn from each other. And they would talk about their faith. They would worship together. But then these class meetings were part of a larger group that was known as a Methodist society. And this is how John Wesley started to form this early Methodist movement, this Methodist revival. This was the organization, was having these class meetings and then having the Methodist societies. And the Methodist societies would get these classes together to to do bigger projects, to do missions, to worship together in, in bigger ways. And so this is what they began to do in the early Methodist movement. And it was around the 1750s that that John Wesley began traveling all over England visiting these different Methodist societies that had taken root. And as he would visit these Methodist societies, he would hold a worship service. It's what he began to call a covenant renewal service. And as they would visit these Methodist societies, they would have this covenant renewal service to to come in a spirit of humility. To remember that no matter how pious we have been, no matter how much good we have done, We have to come back on a daily basis to recommit ourselves to following God, to choosing to follow Christ. And so they would hold this Methodist Wesleyan covenant renewal service every single year. It was by the 1770s that the tradition became to hold this covenant renewal service on New Year's Day. And so for more than 200 years now, Methodists have gathered around the world around the first of the year to hold a Wesley covenant renewal service. And all of the liturgy around the service that John Wesley developed and all of the words, the language that they would use, it was all about humbling ourselves. To come back and be reminded of who we are as God's creation, that we are not the creators, that we simply serve the creator. The whole service really centered around this one prayer, what we now call the Wesley Covenant Prayer. And today in Methodist churches all across the world, people are going to be reciting this Wesley Covenant prayer as we come in a spirit of humility to begin a new year and to recommit ourselves to God. And I want to read you this prayer of John Wesley. He said, I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside by thee, exalted for thee, or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine, and I am thine. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. This is the prayer that Methodists have prayed now since the days of John Wesley. To come back every year at the start of the year to to experience that new beginning in a spirit of humility. To say, I am no longer my own, but thine. To give ourselves back to God. To come and to say, put me to what you will. Rank me with whomever you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. A new year and a new beginning reminds us that the past is in the past. That today is a new day. 
It's an opportunity to come on this new year to recommit ourselves to following Christ. You know, we've taken this Wesley Covenant prayer and, and we've put these on bookmarks. And we have them available at all of our campuses today out at our welcome centers. And what I want to encourage you to do is to stop by and pick up one or two or four or five of these and to take these home with you. And I want to encourage all of us that, that we can put these in our daily devotional books or in our Bibles, whatever book we're reading, so that every day we'll be able to see this. And every day as we go through 2022, we'll be able to start each day as a new beginning, praying this prayer, committing ourselves each and every day to whatever it is that God wants for us, to start each day in a spirit of humility, to say that the past is in the past, and today I choose to follow Christ. You are welcome to take these with you, to take extras to others as well, to your friends or family. But I believe that if we are to go through 2022 every day in a spirit of humility, we'll find that God is able to use us, to lead us, as we look to the light. And so second, I also believe that every new beginning is an opportunity for growth. Every, every new beginning, every new year, and every new day is an opportunity to learn new things, to grow and become the people that God has created us to be. Are we open to new possibilities in life? Are we open to hear God speaking to us? I believe that for the wise men on that very first Christmas, it's because they were open to new possibilities that their eyes were looking to the heavens. They were looking for that sign, that message from God, because they believed that God was still speaking to them. When we come and we offer ourselves to God, we open our hearts and we open our lives to experience the good news of God's grace. We open ourselves to hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And it's when we open ourselves up to listen for God's voice that we begin to hear where God wants to lead us. And one of the things I love about Jesus as he began to follow, or he began to ask his disciples to follow him, is there were no prerequisites. There was no admissions test to be a disciple of Jesus. He simply went to them and said, put down your nets and follow me. And that was it. The disciples didn't have to prove how much of scripture they knew. They didn't have to take any kind of test over their theology. They didn't have to prove to Jesus how smart they were or how faithful they were. Well, Jesus just said, follow me. And it was in that faith journey of following Jesus that transformation began to happen. It was because the disciples chose to follow Jesus that they began to grow, to be changed into the people that God wanted them to be so that they could be used by God to go out and to start the early church, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. We don't have to come at this new beginning with all of the answers figured out. We don't have to come with all of our theology put together in some kind of concise form. We don't have to be perfect in knowing the scripture. But today is a new beginning. And it's an opportunity for us to grow and to learn. You know, here at St. Luke's, we often talk about the importance of growing in our faith. Because we believe that whether we are 5 or 95, we all have opportunities to learn. That the faith that we have today should be different than the faith that we had yesterday. And the faith that we have tomorrow should be different than the faith we have today. 
That's why we believe it's so important to find a, a Sunday school class or a community group, to be able to get involved in a Bible study or some kind of way that we can be joined together with others. Just like Wesley started these class meetings in the early Methodist movement, we believe it's still important today to get involved in a Wednesday Night Alive class, some way that we can be joining together with others to learn from one another, to grow in our faith and to push each other, at times to be able to disagree with each other and still find the opportunities to love one another. We believe it's so important to be joined together so that we can be growing and becoming the people that God wants us to be. That's why we talk on a regular basis about the importance of having a daily devotional life. You know, as we go into 2022, you may already know that we put out a, a daily devotional from here at St. Luke's. And if you don't already know that, I hope it's something that you'll check out and, and something that we can commit to doing as a family of faith in this new year. Spending every day in a time of daily devotion, opening our hearts and our lives to hear God's message speaking to us. It's Reverend Keith King and so many others on our staff who, who write these daily devotionals. You can find them on our website or on Facebook. You can sign up through our website to receive them in your email inbox every single morning. That's how I start my day every day, by doing my daily devotional and trying to be open to listen for how God wants to speak to me and how God wants to use me that day. I believe that when we begin every new beginning, every new day, by intentionally opening our hearts and our lives to seeing the possibilities that God has for us, God can speak to us in new ways. And we're going to find the path that God wants to lead us on. You know, last week somebody told me that I needed to go back and, and listen to the, the Christmas Day message from Queen Elizabeth. You may know that Queen Elizabeth gives a Christmas Day message every year to, to Great Britain, across the whole nation. And they told me, he said, you need to go back and listen to the Christmas Day message. And so I did. And the reason that she wanted me to go back and listen to it is because the Queen actually ends her Christmas Day message by quoting Philip Brooks in O Little Town of Bethlehem. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. You may know that that's what we were looking at all through the season of Advent and at Christmas we were looking at that hymn from Philip Brooks. And obviously it's a message that speaks to the hearts of so many that she was using this message as well this year. But as, as I was listening to this message, there was another line that she said that, that really stuck out to me. She was talking about Christmas and talking about her own faith in Christ and what it has meant to her life. She made the statement and she said that it's in the birth of a child that there is a new dawn with endless potential. I started to think about that. In the birth of a child, there's a new dawn with endless potential. How often do we see a new baby born and we begin to dream about the possibilities for their life? We begin to dream about who they will become someday, what they will be like, what their personality will look like, what kind of gifts and skills they're gonna have, what kind of interests they'll have. And we love to dream about the possibilities with the birth of a new child. And yet somewhere along the way in life, if we're not careful, we begin to lose that sense of dreaming and wonder. We begin to limit ourselves and our own possibilities. We begin to box ourselves in. But it's because we've heard the good news of the birth of a baby in Bethlehem, because Christ has been born into our hearts, 
that we know that there is endless potential within each and every one of us. There are endless possibilities. And whether we are five or 95, I believe that God still wants to speak to us. That God still wants to use us. That we still have opportunities for growth and for learning new things. It's on that way that John Wesley talked about, that faith journey that we begin to find Christ speaking to us. Our lives begin to be transformed and we're able to follow that path that God has laid out for us. And so third, I think what we find is that it's in following Christ that we will inevitably be led back out into the world to bless life. You know, as Jesus began gathering the disciples around, they would spend a lot of time together listening to him preach and teach. They would worship together and eat together. They would pray together. But that wasn't all there was to it. That wasn't all there was to being a disciple of Jesus. Because in the end, every single time, Jesus would always send his disciples back out into the world to be those who would heal, who would teach, who would preach, who would bring the good news of Christ to others. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is important to come and to grow in our faith and to be in Bible study and to be in prayer, to come and worship with our family of faith. But that's not all there is to it. When we follow the path that God wants for us, inevitably, it will lead us back out into the world so that we can be a blessing to others. You know, this year at St. Luke's, we're going to be talking about a theme, a new theme that we're going to be kicking off next Sunday with the sermon series, Building a Better World. Because we believe as people of faith that God wants to use us. That God wants us to be those who go back out to feed the hungry, to make a difference, to bless life. It's part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, last Sunday, like many of you, I was saddened to hear the news of the passing of Desmond Tutu. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, you may remember that he was a priest. He was ordained in the Anglican Church there in South Africa. And it was in 1986 that he was elected as the first black man to be the bishop of Cape Town there in South Africa. He would have an incredible time there as the archbishop, helping to, to lead the church forward. He was someone who was so outspoken against apartheid and the injustices that he saw. He spoke out against hatred and racism violence that was going on. It was in 1994, after Nelson Mandela had been elected as president, that, that Mandela came to Desmond Tutu and he appointed him to be the chair of this new Truth and Reconciliation Commission that they put together. You know, after apartheid ended, there was so much anger, so much hurt there in South Africa. Whether those who had been for apartheid, those who had been opposed to apartheid, there was still so much division in the nation. And Mandela was trying to figure out how do we bring the people together? Can we find healing from our past? And so he came to Desmond Tutu and asked him to put together this Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And you may remember that this whole commission was, was going to be about bringing those who had experienced human rights abuse to this court, where they could come and they could tell their story. They could tell how they had been hurt how their family had been hurt, the wrong that had been done to them. 
And at the same time, they would also allow those who had committed human rights abuse, whether they were pro-apartheid or anti-apartheid, they could come and they could confess to what they had done. And they could seek forgiveness. And the whole point of it was to say that rather than just handing out punitive action, rather than just punishing everybody who had done something wrong, was it possible instead to find reconciliation? And it was amazing what they began to find through this Truth and Reconciliation Commission. That somewhere along the way, through telling the story of how people had been hurt, they were able to find healing. And that it was through coming and offering confession and seeking forgiveness that people began to find reconciliation. And slowly healing began to take place. It's Mandela who often gets the credit for this, but it was really Desmond Tutu who was the one who was the chair of this commission, leading this on a daily basis, helping to speak out, to bring hope and healing to the nation. You know, Desmond Tutu would go on and he would be somebody who would bless millions of lives around the world. Somebody who looked to help bring about justice and to fight against human rights violations all around the world, not just in South Africa. Somebody who is truly one of those saints of the church. Somebody who left such an incredible impact. Well, as I was reading about him and his life this last week, there were so many people who were coming out and making statements about him and sharing memories and stories. But there was one in particular that caught my attention, and, and that was from Justin Selby, who is the Archbishop of Canterbury. And I want to read you what he said about Desmond Tutu. He said, most of all, he was a Christian disciple. That was the root of everything else. After meeting him, many would speak of being in the presence of one who brought God close to them. His joy, grace, laughter, Hope and life caught up those around him with a sense of Jesus Christ. It was Jesus' love we saw in his eyes. Jesus' compassion we heard in his voice. Jesus' joy we heard in his laughter. Jesus' face we saw in his face. And it was beautiful and brave. What would it be like people were to say that about you at the end of your life. That in your life, people heard the voice of Jesus. People heard the joy of Jesus in your laughter. That people saw the face of Jesus in you. That people felt closer to the love of God because you had been around them. I believe that as we enter into this new year, this new beginning that God wants to lead us. And I believe that if we begin every day in a spirit of humility, coming back and recommitting ourselves to following Christ and opening our hearts to hear the message that God has for us, growing in our faith, then God will be able to use us to go back out into the world, to build a better world, as we shine that light of Christ for the world to see, I believe that God has a path for us. And as long as we're willing to follow that light, the true light that shines in the darkness, then we're going to be a family of faith that in 2022 is helping to build a better world. It's in the name of the Father, 
and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers. Amen. You've been listening to the sermon podcast of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses. Learn all about St. Luke's different services and programs on our website, stlukesokc.org. We trust you will experience God's love and hope throughout this week.